You're listening to Advancing Our Church. As a pastor or as a priest, as a leader in the church, we have a fundamental responsibility to help our parishioners that we take responsibility for, to invite them to participate in the mission of the church and to not ask, denies them their role to help build up the kingdom of God. I love that. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. And that was just a little preview from our interview today with Monsignor Louis Marucci. And he talks about his very successful capital campaign and his unique approach to it. He also talks about his role in the diocesan campaign that Changing Our World conducted in partnership with the Diocese of Camden. On today's show, Sean Trahan, who's a Senior Managing Director for Changing Our World, will be having this conversation with Monsignor. Sean is just terrific. She brings over 20 years of fundraising experience in Catholic philanthropy, having worked in dioceses all over the country, and she ran Monsignor's campaign. So let me tell you about Monsignor Louis Marucci. Monsignor was born in Philadelphia. He grew up in Gibbstown, New Jersey, and is a product of Catholic school. He attended Christ the King Seminary in East Aurora, New York, and was ordained on May 23, 1987. He was named chaplain of His Holiness by Pope John Paul II on March 18, 2000, and given the title Reverend Monsignor. Monsignor Marucci holds four master's degrees and a doctorate of ministry. He received a Master of Divinity, a Master of Arts degree in Medical Moral Theology, a Master's of Arts degree in Philanthropy and Development, and a Master of Science degree in Church Management. He earned his Doctor of Ministry degree specializing in medical moral end-of-life issues from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. Monsignor holds the Vatican Diploma for Catechesis and a certification in Catholic social teaching in addition to a certificate in planned giving. Monsignor Marucci is the former Diocesan Executive Director of Development for the Diocese of Camden. He was appointed pastor of St. Andrew the Apostle Parish on June 14, 2010. All of this he does despite his paralysis, which is consequential to his diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, which he received just six months after he was ordained. Monsignor sees every challenge as an opportunity, and he loves to ski using adaptive equipment and has a passion for music as a harpist. In addition to his pastoral ministry at St. Andrew the Apostle, he serves as a consultant to several nonprofit organizations assisting in strategic planning and the incorporation of best practices to establish comprehensive development initiatives. And so, without further ado, here is Sean Trahan and Monsignor Louis Marucci. Monsignor, let's begin with um, introducing St. Andrew the Apostle, if you want to begin with a little bit of history and um, talk about campaign uh, planning, and I'll ask some questions along the way. Perfect. So it's really wonderful to be with everyone today. I want to thank you for the opportunity just to be able to share my own particular experience in uh, um, management and leadership. Um, I uh, hold a master's degree in philanthropy and development and a master's in uh, church management. And these have been critical in terms of my own development in order to serve as a leader here in the Diocese of Camden. 
My uh, parish is St. Andrew the Apostle Parish, which is uh, located in southern New Jersey, about 20 minutes from Philadelphia. And the parish is an extremely, extremely active parish. It's active because for um, several years, the parish has um, grounded itself in fundamental principles of stewardship. A number of years ago, uh, I believe the ICSC awarded St. Andrew the Apostle Parish as the premier parish of stewardship in the country. And we've been doing this for a long time. I've served as a pastor here for 10 years and just brought a different kind of level of focus on stewardship of time and of talent and of treasure. So it is quite active in the sense that we have almost uh, or nearly uh, 100 different ministries and programs that um, this parish uh, comprises. And um, we ask our parishioners every year to commit to at least one ministry for at least one year. And um, I always tell them it's not a death sentence. It's not like giving for you. You're free to change, to move into whatever you want. But it's that active engagement, I think, in the parish that makes our parishioners take, you know, an approach to responsibility for their parish. So the parish celebrated, it has been in existence as a mission for over 100 years. It celebrated uh, in 2013 its 50th anniversary as an independent parish. And I used that opportunity to host what I call a mini capital campaign. I did not use professional counsel. I, I uh, just directed it myself because I'm able to do that. And um, we used that opportunity to make some significant renovations to the sanctuary of the church, raising a couple hundred thousand dollars to do that. And, and um, the parish has been uh, actively engaged in so many different facets that um, when the diocese announced that it was going to do a diocesan-wide capital campaign, then... I use that as an opportunity to uh, plan appropriately. I, I live by this principle. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So um, what I first did was engage um, people that I would think would be significant leaders um, of the campaign. I wanted to know um, specifically I wanted to depend on them for their counsel and their input. So we came up with a number of case components. And one of the things I would strongly advise any pastor is before you go public with any case components, that you test those case components. So um, while um, Changing Our World was kind of gearing up for the diocesan component and the aspect of coordinating this in a, you know its various phases, we were testing the components. We wanted to make sure that um, they were really tested for kind of uh, reliability, that people would understand the vision that I was setting forth. And I learned a few things. Some of the things that I learned is what I thought was significantly important, they did not think was significantly important. And what um, they thought was significantly important that's what I went with. Um, so testing your case components was part of our plan um, for the capital campaign. 
The second thing that was part of significant part of um, creating a plan for the capital campaign was to empower and engage the appropriate leadership. I know that um, from my own experience, many uh, parishes depend on their office staff to be the uh, engaged leadership um, when diocesan programs come around. But if you want it to be successful, and I do want it to be successful, then it was about engaging best practices to uh, implement a good capital campaign. So um, it meant really spending significant time talking with people to get them on the leadership team. And uh, our leadership team consisted of about 30 to 40 people. So I'll probably just stop there about the parish and the campaign plan and then kick it back to you, Sean, if you have any other specific questions about the parish or the Sure. So, Monsignor, your, your volunteer leadership was very engaged throughout the entire process. Um, I know you held weekly meetings. You, hold, you held everyone accountable. You were involved in the personal solicitations yourself. You also took an approach in terms of a unique approach that I thought, but I thought it garnered you great success, your follow-up to solicitations. And so you allowed volunteers some time to circle back to those that are those who were considering their gift decisions for, you know, several days or maybe a week or two. Um, But you took ownership of um, securing those those gifts or bring those gifts home. You can speak to that a little. I think that would certainly be very helpful for the listeners to hear. Okay, so the formation of our leadership team consisted of some key individuals, obviously the role of the pastor, um, the role of a public relations coordinator, somebody that served as a what I call a data a- analyst that could, you know, there our parishes are filled with them, but sometimes we don't really engage them to really work. Um, we had uh, key people, two key people from the office with specific roles that they had to implement. And then there were um, three uh, leadership teams. The leadership teams were the people that would serve in the um, uh, um, lead uh, uh, phase of this, the leadership phase. Uh, I took certain responsibilities. There was a, a major phase and an advanced phase. Each one of those teams had about approximately 10 different people on each team. And the purpose was that was to avoid uh, issues of burnout from the individuals that were being trained. The other uh, team that consisted of about 10 people was a clerical support team. Those were people that were not going to be involved in solicitation. They were not going to be involved in cultivation. They were just going to be involved in a lot of the behind-the-scenes work that happened in an office, stuffing envelopes, making telephone calls, or whatever. But one of my um, issues that I always recognize with uh, capital campaigns is, you know, I'm a very detail-oriented person, um, probably to the neurotic side of being detail-oriented. But, you know, if you have assigned all of these various prospects to these individuals and, you know, they're trying to manage, you know, 20, 15 to 20 various prospects themselves, and you have 10 people on the team, you're talking about potential of 150 prospects uh, for each phase. The dilemma that um, I think many parishes face and wrestle with is the detail of getting 
to the point and the goal, which is really close a gift or closing a decision. So in our parish, we came up with a methodology, I actually created it, that um, on the uh, after the training that Changing Our World did for our staff, for our volunteers, then they had to categorize where these people were on the spectrum of cultivation. And the object was to go from cultivation to solicitation. And so we came up with a simple spreadsheet, something you can do on Excel or in Microsoft. And we assigned five categories. They were either pending, not at this time, which meant simply no, People that were um, unavailable, that meant that this person, the volunteer, had tried many uh, opportunities to make a phone call to try to set up an appointment, but they simply were unavailable at the time. Um, scheduled was the fourth one, which meant an actual time for um, explaining the campaign and scheduling a visit was on the books. And the fifth one was closed. That meant they met with a the person, they closed uh, the solicitation, and a gift was recorded. So I'll just review them again. It was pending, not at this time, unavailable, scheduled, and closed. And the option, uh, the opportunity was really to make sure that there were at least three of uh, definitive responses, either no, not at this time, scheduled, and then closed. And the object was to kind of get everybody to the uh, no or closed response. That was critical because each one of those uh, identifiers uh, had an action step assigned to it. So if the person was pending, then we actually scheduled the time for them to think about it but then would go back to make sure that we were able to try to see if we can schedule an actual appointment. If it was not at this time, it was very simple. No meant no. We were just going to thank the person, engage them um, for all that they do in the parish. And if they changed their mind, you know, the opportunity was still there. Unavailable meant that a letter was going to be generated that was going to come specifically from me asking them to meet with the volunteer. Scheduled was the date was scheduled. We waited for the follow-up and then depending on that response, then it either moved to uh, no or closed. And closed was just a big hooray with dollar signs in it because we locked in the gift and the gift amount. So every one of those identifiers had an action step. If it was closed, it meant a thank you letter but was going to be generated immediately. That allowed us to um, do the detail to make sure that things were not falling through the cracks so that when volunteers came to the volunteer meeting, they were able to share more of their successes. And then the uh, one thing that I think was really important was that you know, we really don't want to go into the in-pew phase of a capital campaign until you've pretty much reached about 75 to 80 percent of your goal. Um, so on this um, timeline that was moving, you know, we had not reached the 70 um, percent that I was looking for. So um, 
I thought there's another strategy that we can use, and that's putting technology at work for us. So I wrote a personal email to everybody that had not um, determined an answer to their gift. Um, or I asked them to please meet with the volunteer. There was a, one particular email that um, went out, and I think, um, I think, Sean, you were kind of really surprised by the end result of it because we raised over $400,000 in four days just from that email. And that put us in a prime position then to move forward with our in-pew phase. And because of the way that that was structured, we went way over the top of our goal. Our goal, I think, yep. was like 1.2 million, and I forget what are we, 1.4 or something like that. So thanks, Monsignor, for that. That's extremely helpful and certainly approach that um, for you uh, great success and an approach that I've continued to use throughout um, the conducting parish campaigns across the country as well. Um, you, as a member of the Priest Advisory Committee uh, for the Diocese of Camden Catholic Strong Campaign, you were uh, very active on that committee. And as I stated in some of my opening remarks, um, we're really engaged in reaching out to some of your fellow uh, priests or, or brothers to seek their support in proceeding with the campaign plan and timeline. Of course, in these, these campaigns, challenges um, are inevitable. And Monsignor played a key role in walking alongside of pastors and just really giving them words of encouragement. Of course, as campaign counsel, we're there to support them, but it's goes much further when we can look to a priest and, and someone who's highly respected, not only in that diocese, but other dioceses, um, you know, for pastors to lean on. Um, when you reached out to pastors, uh, what would you say was one of the most uh, concerning uh, matters that they may have confided in you? Was it just really the campaign plan? Was it personal solicitation? Because you were really involved in personal solicitations in your own parish, as you indicated. Um, so what were some of the, the, the challenges, and how would you say you helped over help them overcome it? Uh, I think fundamentally, uh, pastors are afraid to ask for money, because the bottom line is you're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't. If you do ask it, then you fall the risk of people saying, well, that's all he ever does is ask for money. And if you don't, then they say you're a lousy administrator and, you know, how come you're not taking care of our parish? But one of the things that I try to help them to see is that, because I've often heard young priests say this to me. I've heard a couple of bishops say this to me. I mean, I, I provide some consulting services to parishes and dioceses all over the place. And I've heard them say, these hands were not, I wasn't ordained to raise money. And if there's something that I absolutely fundamentally disagree with is that statement, because as a pastor or as a priest, as a leader in the church, then we have a fundamental responsibility to help our uh, parishioners that we take responsibility for to invite them to participate in the mission of the church, to not... Um, ask because you have a fundamental fear of how to do it uh, and to not ask denies them their role to help build up the kingdom of God. And, and I, I really fundamentally believe that, that we um, do not, we, we fail our congregations when we let our fears 
um, restrict us from being able to take uh, a challenge and turn it into an opportunity. Uh, one thing that I think everybody should know about me, Sean, is that I'm a paraplegic, by the way. People don't, might not know that about me. And um, I've been a paraplegic since six months after I was ordained. But I've never in my life seen a challenge as an obstacle. I've always seen it as an opportunity. So one of the um, fears that pastors have is, you know, how to ask. But I think it's very a responsibility of um, fundraising council, like Changing Our World and others, to teach the pastor the most appropriate and healthy and holy way to be able to engage their parishioners to participate in the mission of the church. And when we don't do that, I think we fundamentally deny people the right to build up God's kingdom. The second thing is that I'm just going to make it really simple. I said to you, if you um, fail to plan, you plan to fail. If there's one thing that I have learned over and over and over, you know, and that I was heavily involved with, I used to be the executive director of development for the Diocese of Camden as well. And just follow the plan. There's a lot of years of experience that lead into the way and the methodology of how um, a capital campaign should incorporate best practices. And when we follow the plan, then it will lead to successes. One of the things that our bishop asked me, Bishop Sullivan, was would you please meet with all the priests and talk to them and share with them some of these best practices? And I was more than happy to do it. Sean set up a couple of uh, those sessions. And you know what I heard back from priests, you know, over the course of the past two years, Sean? I heard this phrase over and over and over. All we did, Monsignor, is we did what you told us to do, and we achieved our goal. So, and like, I'm no uh, rocket scientist about this. This isn't anything new that I'm sharing. It is built on years of experience and methodologies that work. So if you uh, listen to the plan that is being presented before you, you tailor it specifically to the culture of your parish, it can only lead to successful outcomes. It will not lead to successful outcomes if three things happen. One, the pastor does not do his part. It would be very offensive for a pastor. So in our campaign, I structured it this way, that any gift that was going to be solicited over $25,000 needed to come directly from me. It would have been highly inappropriate for um, me to ask a parishioner to ask a, uh, a, uh, another parishioner to give at that level. So giving at that level allowed me to engage with my significant um, philanthropist in the parish or people that had a particular means. And it also helped me to get their buy-in to the vision and the mission. The second thing is to make sure that you have a number of appropriate volunteers that are trained to be able to cultivate, to solicit, and to know that their role is to really bring this gift to closure. And the third that I think is critical is 
gratitude to stewardship and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We cannot say thank you enough for what the people in in the church. You know, I did a study, by the way, just because a lot of people use this as an excuse. Um, people don't give because of the clergy sex abuse scandal. People do not give for a variety of reasons. I was the executive director of development for the Diocese of Camden. I did a complete research project that came in 2005, which was shortly after the scandal erupted in 2002. The media was reporting that um, uh, people stopped giving because of the clergy sex abuse scandal. And to be honest with you, I wanted to know if that was true. So um, if you want a copy of the 200 and some page research project, I'd be more than happy to send it to you. It's great cure for insomnia. But um, the data did not... Um, reveal what the media was saying was true. What the data revealed was if the uh, donor trusts their pastor, they will give more to the pastor at the local level than they might um, want to give at the diocesan level. But the pastor can also engage the individual to trust the bigger picture, and donors are not withholding their giving. They're just transferring where it needs to go. The more restricted they find it, the more apt they're willing to give. And I think that study needs to be repeated, you know, some 15 years later, but the data is still, I think, true. Monsignor, thank you for sharing that. I certainly look forward to receiving your report. I'll send you an email and I can circulate it to the participants on the call today. Um, Monsignor, you alluded to, obviously, your successful parish campaign, your volunteer leadership, um, and you spoke early on about your capital projects that you um, that planned as part of this campaign. Uh, how far along are you in those plans? Yeah, that's great. It's a great question, because I think one of the things that's really important is to keep successes in front of your congregation. So um, our campaign case components were, as I told you a number of years ago, we renovated the sanctuary area of the church. For this campaign, it was now to renovate the rest of the church where the gathered assembly is going to uh, see the specific benefits. So we put in a new lighting, we put in a new sound system, our case components were new pews with really thick padding and uh, kneelers that had really thick Padding. If they love me for anything else in this parish, it's the padding on the kneelers. And we put a, took it away all of the outdated carpeting that was in there and replaced it with a porcelain tile floor. Um, so all of that is done except for uh, one component left in the lighting end of it. And we're just uh, waiting for this fiscal year to incorporate that. New statue of St. Andrew the Apostle um, that was uh, designed, sculpted, and that is uh, made of bronze, which is now in place. The old one was made of wood for whatever reason and left outside. And the ants ate it from the bottom and the birds ate it from the top. So we no image. We replaced, we uh, gutted and renovated the old rectory and turned it into a senior living center, a senior ministry center, which is for us to do day ministry to our seniors. And we gather about 
50 or so people um, two or three times a week. Uh, for It's an excellent program. I would encourage any pastor to engage it. Third, we renovated the institutional kitchen kitchen in our parish hall, and we have one uh, other project that we want to handle, and that's repairing all the concrete and the curbs out in our parking lot. And then finally, we're trying to raise in that campaign $500,000 to use as the kind of foundation for putting a new addition on the church that is a community center. And our thought was if we could raise the 500000 we could borrow and mortgage the remaindermint um, that we need to bring that project to completion. That would be our final project that we anticipate will probably come to light in about two years. Great. Well, I know it feels good to see all of that come to fruition. Uh, Monsignor, you spoke earlier about engaging your parishioners and asking them to commit to a ministry for at least one year. What percentage of parishioners would you say are engaged in, in at least one of your ministries? That's an interesting question. We have over 1,500 um, commitments to ministry in last year's Stewardship of Treasure appeal, uh, Stewardship of Talent, Time and Talent. So that's a lot of engagement. And, you know, if I could just steal from Pope Francis, what does he talk about? He talks about encounter all the time. And it's the way that we can encounter one another on the journey and with a common vision you know, we're working collectively to build up the kingdom of God. Our Compassionate Outreach Ministry has about 40 different components to it um, and programs that are associated with it. I, I always call it a little Catholic charity satellite center here at St. Andrew. I can't take the credit for building it up. This came from the parishioners up, and it happened because of their engagement in ministry. They want to make a difference. And the more engaged they are in ministry, the more engaged they are to the culture of the life of the parish, and the more supportive they are. You know, I do not, uh, I go out once a year, I put a focus in stewardship of time and talent, followed by a specific request for stewardship of treasure. I ask my parishioners to determine how it is that they want to give each year, weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, annually. They make that determination. I ask them to consider participating in our electronic giving program, and if they can increase what this is the level of increase I might want them to consider. But I use as a gauge that, you know, pastors you might want to think about is to give, consider giving your first hour of labor to the Lord. So that might be a stretch for a lot of people, um, just because they're not in the custom of that kind of stewardship of treasure. But spiritually, it makes sense, doesn't it? If the Lord gives us this labor and this job to support our own means, can we give the first hour back to Him? And I have a number of parishioners that um, make that kind of commitment each year. Thank you. Monsignor, as part of your comment, you spoke about uh, several of the five P's that we all know as part of successful fundraising efforts. Uh, personal visits, you spoke about. You also spoke about the importance of pledges, securing pledges over a three- to five-year period, obviously, which garnered you great success. And you also mentioned the phased approaches. You mentioned the leadership gifts, which obviously you were involved in that phase. 
um, major gifts phase as well as the advanced gifts phase. The two other P's that we did not mention were really proportionate requests, which sort of goes hand in hand with the pledge component, obviously, because we know that, you know, as part of successful campaigning, we seek equal sacrifices and not equal gifts. Um, and then, of course, the, the last component, which we would never forget, uh, is prayer. Uh, prayer should be part of our uh, daily efforts, our campaign planning, uh, as you've alluded to several times um, throughout this initiative. Um, any closing comments that you'd like to make, Monsignor? When I first came to the diocese, as I used to be the vocation director of the diocese, and the bishop asked me if I would create a comprehensive development office in the diocese, and I became the executive director of development. In doing that, his annual appeal was uh, $2.2 million, and he was collecting $1.8 million. I brought in um, fundraising council because I didn't have any staff. Matter of fact, Jim Friend, when I go way back, was he was part of that fundraising council. So, um, But here was the strategy that we wanted to uh, incorporate. At the time, our diocese was asking everyone for an equal gift. They were asking everybody for the bishop's annual appeal to either be a 10 or a 15. $10 a month for 10 months, $15 a month for 10 months. So everybody was being asked to give 100 or $150. They collected uh, 1.8 on their $2.2 million. The problem with that is that God's gifts are proportioned to us differently, aren't they? So I changed that concept from an equal gift to an equal sacrifice. And I will distinctly remember and recall that some of the pastors were like, are you absolutely crazy in what you're asking us to consider? Because instead of asking people to consider a gift at that time of $100 or 150 people were put in a different category and asked to give at a level of $5,000. And they were like, we've never done this before. It can't be done. And all the reasons... That campaign went from $2.2 million to $5.8 million in one year. Why? Because people were asked to give an equal sacrifice. And uh, I think that's an easy thing for a parish to be able to do, is to kind of gauge what the solicitation level might be based on people's giving pattern, based on information that's readily available, and how you structure your campaign. So that difference made a difference, I think, back in that Bishop's Annual Appeal and also in the capital campaign, because that's also what we did. We asked people to make sure that they were giving, making an equal sacrifice. Thank you, Monsignor. Um, for the participants, are there any questions? Hey, Sean, this is Fred. I uh, just want to um, um, thank Monsignor for, for sharing this afternoon. It's, it's really uh, amazing to hear all you've been able to accomplish. And as I'm uh, hearing all the things that you uh, are involved in, it occurs to me that, um, you know, the time management may be a concern for you, you know, with all those ministries. So do you, how large is your staff and how much time do you have to devote to all the different uh all the different responsibilities and things that go into maintaining your vibrant parish. I will share this with you. A wise leader knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know. And he surrounds himself with the people that knows what he doesn't know to make them look good. So that's the bottom line. Um, and so 
Um, when I first came to the parish, everybody had the title of director, which spoke volumes to me. And I changed shortly after that everyone's title to pastoral associate for something. And um, so there are, if you count the teachers and the staff that are in our preschool, there are almost 40 people on staff here. Um, the key leaders, there are about seven um, leaders that have fundamental um, responsibilities in leadership and empowerment. You know, I work with those leaders in order for it to trickle down to all these ministries and programs. So it allows me to manage my time appropriately. But one of the things that I also do is every year I commit myself to working closely with two of those leaders on an annual basis because I can't be everything to all people. So uh, I choose two of them and I work very, very, very closely with them and it sort of rotates around every three years. And my reminder tab on my cell phone is my best friend. <laughs> I can relate to that, Monsignor. Other questions? I have a question, Monsignor, regarding the email appeal that you sent out. You said you had raised around $400,000 in roughly four days. I was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit about the messaging you used how many families it was sent to, and then whether or not you included an actual give button in that email or whether you hyperlinked it to a giving page. If you give me 30 seconds, I think I might even have a copy of it in front of me. So with the, where the email went was to anybody who um, was on the leadership team who had a prospect that they were not able to meet with or were not able to close the gift. So pardon the language of closing the gift, but that's the world I speak in, um, of making a decision, for lack of a better phrase. The email came from my computer. All I would do is go to the um, leadership reporting meetings, and if they told me that they were not able to schedule, they were not able to meet, they were, and they made so many different uh, attempts, then I asked them for two things, the email address and to make sure that we actually had the names uh, correct that people went by. So, you know, I didn't want to say Mr. and Mrs. I wanted to call them, you know, Joe and Mary or whatever. I will share with you the exact email that went out. And um, literally this uh, brought from about $460,000 to about $815,000 in four days. It said, hi, Jim and Sally. I am writing to ask if you have thought about the Catholic Strong campaign. I had asked uh, Roger and Josie to meet with you personally to explain the importance of this initiative because I was unable to meet with everyone personally. I know we all have very busy schedules, but I hope you have prayed over this request, which is important for our parish. I will soon ask the entire congregation for their support and I was hoping that you might commit in advance to show the enthusiasm from our parishioners in our quiet phase. Can I ask you to please return your intention form to the rectory tomorrow or place it in the collection basket this weekend? It would be a tremendous help to me personally. I thank God for all the blessings you provide to our parish and to me personally. Blessings to you and your family, Monsignor Marucci. 
And I think the um, the uh, important lesson in that is a fundamental principle of fundraising is that people give to people, not necessarily to causes. So because people asked and they have this kind of trust relationship with the person that asked, people are more apt to respond affirmatively. So in that email, you heard me say um, this would be a significant help also to me personally. And, you know, if you went in with 460000 and four days later you ended up with 815000 yeah. in commitments, that just situated us where near where we actually wanted to be for the in-Q phase of our campaign. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, hi, Monsignor. Um, just a question on that uh, that. Uh, email appeal. Do you know offhand how many gifts are you know uh, equated to that four hundred thousand? Off the top of your head, I know it's kind of. That, that's a great question. I could probably go back and research that. I don't know that off of the top of my uh, head, but um, I um, clearly would say to you that um, I would not send that email out right unless there were at least three attempts gotcha. to have contacted that family. Yep. Um, because some people just don't want to talk to you know, a picture about it. They would rather hear from you personally. Exactly. So, um, I don't really know the stats on that. We could probably go back and look that up, um, but yep. you know, I can try to do that for you. Thanks, Muncie. I love the tone of that uh, that email, and uh, one of the, the ways I, I used to say, um, getting the message out and being able to somebody, say to somebody kind of diffuses things when you kind of say, you know, I need your help, you know, and uh, and it was very, it was really heartfelt. It was a nice, beautiful letter. I also think the most appropriate thing that you could do is send that out with, um, you know, in advance of even asking, having anybody try to make contact. You, you heard in the beginning of that, I have asked so-and-so to reach out to you. Right. If they've made the three contacts, key contacts already, um, uh, and were not able to, uh, in order to actually schedule something, they know, the donor knows, that this is all on my radar screen. Right. <laughs> and since it's on my radar screen and they know that I've asked so-and-so and they've talked to um, and so to you, haven't been able to respond that, well, Monsignor is aware of this, so let me um, do my part. And I think that's what it really engaged in is people, um, people want to do their part. And that takes me back to the opening comment that you asked me, Sean, what information do I have to share with my brother priest? It is our duty and obligation to invite parishioners to share in building up the mission of the church. And we let them make the decision, not let our peers um, prevent us from engaging them to make that decision. Thank you, Monsignor. We are certainly, as Jane and our world team, most grateful for your uh, leadership on the Diocese of Camden Catholic Strong Campaign and for your willingness uh, to share your experiences um, with the participants today. Would you like to share your email address? Should someone like to, to email you and, and ask questions and maybe obtain documents? Sure, absolutely. It's a, a very easy, it's Monsignor Marucci, abbreviated M as in Michael, S is in Sam, G is in Gabriel, R is in Richard. My last name, M is in Michael, A is in Adam, R is in Richard. 
U is an umbrella, C is in Charles, C is in Charles, I is in India. Monsignor Marucci at Church of S is in Sam, T is in Thomas, Andrew with an S at the end dot org. Church of Saint Andrews dot org. Monsignor, thank you so much for your participation on today's session. It's wonderful to see you again, Sean. I hope you're doing well, too, and everybody at Changing Our World is doing well. Uh, it was good to be with you all, and, you know, I'm available to help any parish or diocese, so just don't hesitate to reach out to me if I can help you. Thank you. Stay well. Okay. Thanks, Monsignor. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Monsignor. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank Sean and Monsignor Marucci for being on our show today. Monsignor, your wisdom and experience, I'm sure, will benefit lots of people who listen to this podcast. You're an inspiration to all of us, and thank you so much for being on the show. I'll be sure to leave the contact information for both Sean and Monsignor in our show notes. And for more details about the great diocesan campaign that we ran in the Diocese of Camden, I invite you to go back and listen to episode 27, where Sean and I interviewed Father Robert Hughes, who's the Vicar General for the Diocese of Camden, and Marianne Gilbride, the current Director of Development. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like to leave a comment about today's show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com and click on Leave a Voicemail. I'd love to hear your feedback. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Thanks for all you do to advance the mission of our church. Take care and God bless.